Okay, why don't we take a seat? We're going to turn uh, to our Bibles now. So it's Luke chapter 12 today. Just a little one-off drop into Luke. Um, This week in Summer Club, uh, they'll be doing The Diary of a Disciple, which is a book which presents Luke's gospel uh, as a diary kept by Luke and recording all that he saw and heard of Jesus uh, or or learned of Jesus as he compiled his... uh, his orderly account, isn't that what he calls it? So uh, we're in Luke chapter 12, uh, reading um, a little bit towards the end. We'll just pray before we uh, read. We'll pray. Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus. Thank you that he came to make you known, uh, to make a way for us to be right with you and to be with you forever. And we pray that we would understand what you have to say to us through his words preserved for us today, that you would help each of us to act in response to what Jesus says today, and we pray in his name. Amen. So we're reading Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 49 to 59. Uh, 49 to 59. Uh, And Jesus is speaking. He says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. We'll finish our uh, reading there. Um, life's full of warnings, isn't it? Life's full of warnings. Warning signs, warning labels, warning sounds. Uh, Warning lights, weather warnings, travel warnings, dashboard warnings, uh, warnings that if you don't turn up to the airport on time, there's no way you're going to get through security. All of the life is full of warnings. Doesn't mean we're necessarily good at heeding them. There's a a story goes um, that uh, there's a uh, there was a a hurricane swept through the eastern seaboard of the United States in uh, September 1938. So it's not exactly a contemporary story, but. Uh, and it pushed this 25-foot storm surge, this rise of water of sea level, uh, up to, to Long Island in New York State. Uh, and many drivers who attempted to escape it by car were overcome as the water, uh, water levels rose and it all caught up with them. The forecasters seemed to miss it. They didn't quite see it uh, coming. They didn't really issue any warnings. Did they, uh, did they, did they not believe that it was possible, that maybe the, the instruments were reading something wrong? Uh, that it was too extreme. I heard recently that uh, when 
uh, the, when the, the BBC forecasters uh, said that there would be 40 degree heat in London uh, a few weeks ago, they got a, even more abuse on Twitter than usual. People saying, ah, oh, you don't remember 1975, and ah, oh, you know, you're just uh, pushing your climate change agenda and all this, but people didn't believe the warnings. And of course, it was, uh, it was pretty hot, wasn't it? Um, anyway, back in New York, um, the story goes that on the morning of the day when the storm surge uh, came in, one Long Islander was happily unwrapping a barometer that he'd recently uh, ordered and had just arrived in the post. And if you don't know what a barometer is, it's your weather app on your phone, but in 1938. Okay, It's a little thing that sits on the wall with a needle that goes around and it tells you if it's going to be uh, rain or if it's going to be sun, depending on the pressure. It measures the pressure. You're looking at me like everyone in this room knows what a barometer is. Would you be quiet? Uh, anyway, lifting it out of his box, he was really annoyed to find that the needle was kind of stuck at one end of the scale, uh, one end of the atmospheric pressure scale. The, the, the end labeled uh, hurricanes. Well, he tapped it and he shook it and he turned it upside down, but the needle wouldn't budge. And he was so cross uh, that it had arrived, obviously damaged, that despite what he uh, could see was bad weather outside, he wrapped it up again and went straight back down to the post office to send it back. And when he returned from the post office, his house was gone. Um, so, goes the, so goes the story. Destroyed by storm waters. He, uh, he failed to heed the warning uh, of, his, of his new barometer and was fortunate, really, just to survive the day. Anyway, today Jesus is in warning mode in this little uh, section of Luke's gospel. And the danger that he wants to warn us about is himself. Himself. So we're in Luke's gospel, his biography of Jesus. Um, Luke uh, chapters 1 to 9 are all about who is Jesus. And it culminates in that answer that Peter gives. You know, Jesus says, who do you say I am? We just sang it. Uh, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the chosen king. Uh, and then chapters 9 to 19 chart Jesus' intentional journey towards Jerusalem to complete his royal rescue mission, uh, albeit in a way that only he understood, dying a gruesome and shameful death at the hands of his own people. And along the way, in chapters 9 to 19, where we are today in chapter 12, he's um, teaching his disciples more closely about what it means to follow him. He's exposing the Jewish leaders as hypocrites who, who, whose religion is all for show and who will not follow him. And he's challenging the crowds who are kind of sitting on the fence. Do we, don't we? Uh, do we, don't we commit to follow him? And he's challenging them to, to do it, to get off the fence. So there's a bit of a confrontational tone from Jesus today, and perhaps you picked that up. I'm sure you did. And the reason for this confrontation is that Jesus has... Just such an important mission, a vital mission. The word vital is all about vitality. It's all about life. It is a life and death mission that Jesus has that affects every person who ever lived and whoever will live forever. And so he's giving the people around him, he's giving us today as we read, a good shake. He's taking us by the, by the collars. You ever, has anyone ever taken you by the, by, the, by the collar, by the jacket, by the coat? Maybe it's been a while since anyone grabbed you, but just grabbed you and given you a shake. Uh, you need to pay attention because Jesus' mission is life and death for us. Um, wh why is that? Why is that? I don't know if you have a friend or family member who only ever really gets in touch when they need something, when they're in trouble. Do you have someone like that? Do you have someone who only really gets in touch with you when they, they need something? The phone rings and you know it's not just a chat. You recognize the number and you think, well, what's it going to be this time? 
Um, so the story goes of the son who wrote to his father from university and said, you know, dear dad, uh, things are going really well here. It'd be great to hear from you, even if it's only 50 quid. Um, <coughs> uh, I've got a little note in my notes here that says, don't say anything about Luke Rushton at this point. Uh, <laughs> So, got away with that. Anyway, it's horrible to be treated like that by anyone, isn't it? Um, sorry, look. Uh, but that's how we treat God. We get in touch with him when we need something. Uh, we ignore him until we're looking at a, a pretty shocking bank statement, or we're sitting at an exam desk, or we're lying in the hospital bed, and then it's, then it's suddenly, oh, please, God, help me. Please help me, and then I'll, I'll do this, or I'll stop doing that, or whatever it is. But the rest of the time, we're not too interested. Left to ourselves, by default, by choice, we are at war with God. It might be a hot war, it might be a cold war, which just the defenses are up and we hope he leaves us alone. But we're kind of at war, aren't we? And God is, God is worthy. That's why that's a problem. We can't be at war with God and his, his right to our life because he is worthy. He's worthy of our lives. He made us. He's got every right to our obedience. He blessed us. He's got every right to our gratitude. Uh, and so if we spend our whole lives telling him to get lost, eventually he will. He will withdraw from us, or at least in his, good, his goodness and his, his grace will withdraw, and we'll be left only with his justice and his wrath. That's, uh, that's the risk we face uh, being cut off from the goodness and grace of God forever. And that reality is the context for, uh, for Jesus' confrontational tone. It's urgent. But D Jesus didn't come just to warn us, but also to save us. As, as God in the flesh, he came and lived a perfect life uh, of worship to the worthy God, as God designed. And then he traded places with us. He took our uh, punishment from the Father as he hung on the cross, uh, as the sky turned black at midday. God punished Jesus for every act of our treason uh, that we would commit. Uh, and with that done, we are offered forgiveness, we are offered pardon, we are offered peace, we are offered welcome. And so that's the warning of Jesus and the rescue call of Jesus. And the question is simply, how will we respond? Jesus is grabbing us by the, by the shirt today or by the collar and, and giving us a shake and saying, how will you respond to me? How have you responded to me? How are you responding to me? There's nothing more important in this life to get right. So um, today is all about responding to Jesus. We we'll say three things about it. First, uh, perhaps the, the surprising one, responding to Jesus is divisive. Okay, responding to Jesus is divisive. So Jesus, at the start of our passage, he's speaking to his disciples. He's kind of got the, his, his closest followers kind of gathered around and he's speaking just to them at the moment, and he says, verse 49, I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Now, these are tricky verses, aren't they? But if we take out the fire and the baptism and just kind of break it down, in verse 49, Jesus is saying something like, well, I came to do such and such, and I'm eager to get on with it. But verse 50, I've got something to do first, and I'm desperate to see it through. So I've, I've come, I, I want to do something. I've, come, I've got this mission. I've come to do something, but I've got something else that I've got to do first, and I really want to get on. So this is a kind of mission statement from Jesus. 
I'm eager to get on with what I've come to do, but I've got something else to go through first. Now, let's put the fire and the baptism back in. So verse 49, I've, I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Uh, I love that word, kindled. So good. Um, fire in Luke is usually about judgment. Uh, in chapter 3, John the Baptist spoke about Jesus, and he said his, uh, his winnowing fork I think that's a farming thing, isn't it? His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So fire is about judgment. It's about separating what's being kept from what's being discarded. Uh, later on in chapter 9, a village of Samaritans refused to welcome Jesus. And James and John had a bit of a rush of blood to the head, and they, they said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus was like, no, no, you're, you're okay. Just, uh, just calm, calm down, calm down there, guys. Uh, not, not yet. Uh, Jesus' mission is divisive, but it's not yet time for the final judgment. Jesus does want to get on with that judgment, with that separating. He says, how I wish it were all already kindled. I want to get on with this. I want to gather in and I want to, to sweep away. Perhaps that's a surprise to us that Jesus wants to, to get on with his mission, finishing his mission by, by judging, by, by bringing some to enter the kingdom and sending some to face the fire. But verse 50, something else has to happen first. He says, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Now, um, this is a Baptist church. We love to make everything about baptism, but um, we can't really do that today uh, because Jesus has already had his dip in the River Jordan at this point. It was chapter, uh, whoa, was it three of Luke, chapter three-ish. Uh, so Jesus is not talking about water baptism. He's done that already. He's talking about the original baptism, the prototype. He's talking about the baptism that all other baptisms are about and symbolize. He's talking about his death and resurrection. So before, before judgment and fire uh, comes Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection to new life. As Jesus hung on the cross and the sky turned black, he experienced the fire of God's judgment on himself. He didn't deserve it himself. He was the only person who never did deserve it, but he experienced it. He took it in order to save us from it. Uh, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Jesus has a mission to judge. He's eager to proceed, but first he came on a rescue mission to face that judgment himself for us. Let's pick up the pace a little bit. Verse 51, still speaking to the disciples, he says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? Uh, well, that's what the Christmas carols say. We sang one a few weeks ago. Maybe it was a month ago, maybe. Uh, and he says, no, I didn't, but division. From now on, there'll be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three, father against son, mother against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and vice versa, which is kind of like the least surprising of the lot, isn't it? It's like, well, we could do that on our own anyway. We could, uh, we could figure that one out. Um, uh, uh, sometimes it doesn't, I'm just going to move switch swiftly on. Uh, sometimes it doesn't take much to start an argument in a family, does it? Sometimes there are long-standing ill feelings, you know, branches of the family that don't really speak to each other. And to be honest, you don't really remember how that started. You don't, you, you know, there's some, some sort of feud and no one really remembers how it started, but it's still going strong. And Jesus is talking about 
people dividing, but dividing over him. Uh, perhaps you know the, the heartbreak of this kind of division, uh, division in, in families because of Jesus. Perhaps, um, you know, unbelieving family or friends have a real problem with your faith. And not just the, the hot topic issues, you know, the, the headline issues, but the, the way your whole life is headed, what you choose to do with your life. You're living for him, you're serving him, you're giving your time and your money and your energy to his church and to his work, and uh, you're telling your children about him, you're, you want to tell others about him, what he's done for you, uh, and they just think, what a, what a massive waste. Uh, or maybe you shouldn't be proselytizing. Maybe it's nobody's business, you keep it private. People have got this, uh, this problem with your faith, it's like a division which opens up between you. It's a, it's a source of, of, of problem, of division between you. As a young person, when you become a Christian, your, your aims in life change. You know, suddenly that dream job and dream family and dream home might not be quite as important. Uh, you might be thinking about a year out with a mission organization, or uh, uh, you might be, you know, you're going on your first buy team now, but maybe it'll be a Baptist youth internship or something coming up after that. And suddenly, you know, you're, you're taking a year out before university or something like that. Or you're, you're spending a lot of time at a college kind of committing to running the Christian union when maybe mum or dad think you should be committing to passing your exams, you know, and making the most. And, and just try explaining your commitments to people whose, whose priorities are completely different in life. It's a source of, of division uh, between you. And of course, there are plenty of places in the world where becoming a Christian would see you completely cut off from your family. You'd be dead to them. Uh, in fact, to be honest, uh, they would prefer if you had died because at least they could still love you and be proud of you. Uh, instead, you've become a Christian and you're, you're a source of, of shame. So if you're, not a, if you're not a Christian yet, will you pay attention to the cost of following Jesus? You must turn and trust him, but you need to think of in advance what that might cost, uh, what you might lose. Our response to him will affect every aspect of our lives, even our closest relationships. Uh, responding to Jesus is divisive. Of course, many of us are Christians. Uh, will we make our loved ones' response to Jesus uh, one of our greatest hopes and, and prayers and aims for them, uh, but will we also expect and accept the division that may come? Um, we, don't, we don't go out causing division. We don't try to be kind of abrasive. We try to speak warmly of Jesus and serve people with love. And uh, uh, but even so, many will reject him. Some will be indifferent to him. Some will be irritated. Some will be aggressive. They might throw us out with him. Are we ready for that? Will we risk? that will we speak of Jesus all the same um, this is the longest point this morning so before we move on uh, let's just recap Jesus is uh, eager to bring final judgment and maybe that's a surprise that he's eager to get on with separating us depending on how we've responded to him uh, but um, and so and so um, well but he, he wants to get on also first of all with his own suffering of that judgment for us to save us and our response to him will be divisive. Responding to Jesus is divisive. But uh, secondly, responding to Jesus is necessary. It is necessary. Let's read a little bit from verse 54 as we kind of get moving again in this passage. So verse 54, Jesus said to the crowd now at this point. So the huddle has kind of broken up. He's welcoming the crowd in a little bit. And he wants to get them off the fence. 
And he says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Of course it is. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How do you not know how to interpret this present time? So he's kind of scolding these people who are sitting on the fence when it comes to Jesus. People see a cloud forming out over the Mediterranean, uh, out over the sea. They know if that cloud comes in, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain. It's going to rain. Or they feel the wind shift to the south. This is what happened here, didn't it? A few weeks ago, the wind started coming up from, from Spain and France uh, and, and just bringing this hot, hot air. Well, below, below where, where Jesus is speaking there, I suppose it's, what, Saudi Arabia? I mean, there's going to be some hot air come up with a south wind. So, yeah, if the wind shifts to the south, it's going to be hot. And they know all of that, but when they think about Jesus and the signs and indications that he's giving, they're still dithering. They're making out like there's not enough information. We don't know what to do. How could we be sure? You know, there's a cloud over the sea, and they're, they're suddenly they're bringing in everything they don't want to get wet. But they're listening to Jesus, and they're just dithering, dithering, dithering. We, of course, uh, are, are good at reading the signs as well, um, weather included. So if I said red sky at night, oh, okay, red sky at night, okay, what does that mean? Is it going to be a good day the next day? I think it is, isn't it? Red sky in the morning, okay, good, yeah, we don't often do interaction, but anyway, uh, you can tell. Um, the chicken, maybe you've got a chicken in the oven today, I don't know, it's a bit hot. Um, it's roasting away in the oven, you stick a skewer in and the juices run clear and you think, I know what that means, I know what that, it's ready, we're going to eat this thing. Um, she's cooked, is that what that means? Yeah, okay. Uh, or maybe you, you know, you, maybe you're a golfer and you kind of, you know how to read the green, you kind of know which way is the ball going to go, it's going to go this way, then that way, then it's going to get right to the hole and then it's just going to, um, anyway, that's usually what happens, isn't it? Just the last minute, or maybe you know how to read the stock market. You can read those graphs and you know it's all about to go right or wrong. Or you know how to read your patient's symptoms. Or you know how to read a room of school children in front of you. You know when discipline is about to just crumble. You know when you need to switch it up and do something else for a while. Uh, you know how to read your wife's face and so when to shut up. Uh, or you know how to read your child and think, yeah, you need to, you need to get a snack and a sit down in somewhere quiet. Uh, because this is about to go wrong. Or, you know, for those younger people here, maybe you know how to read your parents, and you know, like, you enjoy pushing it. You enjoy, like, winding them up a little bit, but you know how far, and you know when not to, when not to go any further. Jesus says to these crowds, you can read all these different situations. You can read all the signs. You know what will happen next. You know what to do about it. So why do you not know how to interpret this present time? Why are you not acting on the signs that you're seeing in me? Everything that the people needed to decide what to do about Jesus was there in front of them. They could see it all. Everything about Jesus backs up who he claimed to be. Everything that he did and said gave reason again and again to believe in him and trust in him. And so we must get off the fence. We must read the signs and take action. Uh, in Jesus' uh, words here, he is eager to return, to separate and to judge, depending on our response to him. So we must take action. Uh, we must take action. Each one of us must respond. Responding to Jesus is necessary. When Jesus returns, there will be one question posed to us, and that is, 
what did we do with Jesus? And when we are asked that question, we've got some options. We could say, well, I ignored Jesus, or I was too busy for Jesus, or I hated the very name of Jesus. Some people will have to say, well, I heard about Jesus, but I never really listened. (coughs) Others might say, I sang songs about Jesus, I read stories about Jesus, but there's only really one answer uh, that will see us saved. There's only one thing that we can do, one response that we can make, and that is, I trusted Jesus. I heard what he said, and I believed him. I trusted what he did for me, and I lived my life for him. And those family divisions of verse 53 show that there's no kind of getting in on someone else's decision. You won't be saved because your parents believe, because your children believe. You won't be saved because you came to church uh, and sat in here on a hot summer's day. You won't be saved because you read your Bible. Uh, And as Christians, no one we love will be saved through us either. It's just Jesus. He's the one we need to respond to. Responding to Jesus is necessary for every single one of us. We need to read the signs and take action. And finally, responding to Jesus is urgent. Responding to Jesus is urgent. That's, I think, the idea of verses 57 to 59. So why don't we just read them again? Uh, Jesus says, again, to a wider audience, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way. Or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. Um, I got a really weak illustration for this, but I'm going to subject you to it anyway, so just come along with me for this. So imagine you're you're building a wall in the back garden. Uh, You're kind of digging out the foundations of the wall, and um, it's quite near the boundary, and you you were digging out the foundations, and after a while, you notice that cracks had appeared up the, the neighbor's garage wall, okay? So you're digging away, and suddenly, oh, I don't remember that. I don't remember that being there. And uh, you're kind of not sure, you know, did it, was, that, was it what I was doing did that? Uh, and you kind of argued the toss a little bit, but now you reckon yeah, it probably was my fault. It probably was my digging. The cracks probably are my fault. But unfortunately, uh, by this time, you're on your way to court. Uh, and you're pretty sure the court's going to find in his favor... The verdict is due. You park up near the courthouse. You're walking down there. And who should arrive at your side, arriving at the court at the same time, but your neighbor and and his uh, lawyer or whatever. Uh, And they're kind of arriving for, you know, towards the end of the the decision here. And and wouldn't you you say something? If you're pretty sure, look, I think actually on reflection, this is my fault. Um, Wouldn't you try to make amends somehow? Wouldn't you try to make some sort of settlement, uh, some way to avoid... Uh, it all going before the judge. That's a terrible example, not very convincing, not very exciting. But these verses here, as Jesus speaks, they're about our lives. And without Jesus, we are walking to the court. We are guilty, and we are going to be found guilty. We're going to be sentenced, except there's still time, isn't there? There's still time to say something, still time to settle out of court in some way. Uh, There is time, but not much. In fact, we don't know how much Jesus will return. We are on our way to the court, but the judge is also coming to us, (laughs) Uh, and we don't know when. We don't know how long we've got. So the time really is today. It's really now. Uh, This is the time to respond to him. Responding to Jesus is urgent. And as we thought at the beginning, this is confrontational stuff from Jesus, but the confrontational Jesus is still the loving Jesus. 
uh, it is the most loving thing Jesus can do for this crowd and for us to warn us of the danger that we face, the danger of his return to judge and to separate, depending on our response to him. It's a loving thing to warn us. Um, you know, you might think of, of all sorts of warning signs which might alarm you. It might even be a warning alarm, but doesn't it save you from something terrible? You know, you think of those low bridges, you know, they're sort of railway, like a railway bridge, and it's got all the black and yellow chevrons over the top and, you know, red signs showing how much height, how much clearance there is underneath. But all the way along that lower edge of the bridge, there's just scar after scar after scar from truck drivers who thought, yeah, I can make that. I can make that. And so whoosh, underneath they go. And either the bridge skins the roof off the truck or the truck just gets wedged underneath and you have to start, you know, letting air out of the tires and trying to back this thing out and hope that the bridge isn't damaged. These signs are alarming, but ultimately loving. They're trying to keep us out of trouble. Um, we know that Jesus warns us out of love because just a few chapters later in Luke's gospel, he did something even more loving, even more loving than warning us. In the language of, of verse 50, Jesus experienced that baptism of God's judgment <coughs> himself for us. In the language of verses 57 to 9, he met us outside the courtroom and he went in to be sentenced instead of us. He completed his rescue mission. He went to the cross in our place. He offers us peace with God. He's giving us a little time, even now, even today, to turn to him. There's nothing more important in life than responding to Jesus. It is divisive, and we need to be prepared for that. It is costly, but it is necessary, and it is urgent. And so if you have turned to him already, will you praise him afresh today for his mercy, for his love his love that warns us, but not only warns us, rescues us. Will you uh, commit afresh to making him known, even in our closest relationships, gently urging and warning people uh, to come to him? And if you yourself have not already done so, will you heed Jesus' warning? Will you come to him even today? Uh, if, if you're ready to, to come to him today, you could even echo our prayer as we finish. We're going to pray now a prayer of responding to Jesus. And uh, if, if, this, if it applies to you, especially today, you could echo this prayer as we pray it together uh, nice and slowly. Why don't we pray? <clears throat> and then we're going to sing. Let's pray. Eternal God, you are worthy of my praise and my obedience. You're worthy of my life. But I've, I've lived my life ignoring you or coming to you only as a last resort when my back was against the wall. I do deserve to be cut off from you forever, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you for the warnings that Jesus gives. Thank you for uh, the Jesus who takes us by the collar and gives us a shake. And thank you most of all for his death in my place to offer me peace with you. Would you please rule in my life now and help me to live for him as uh, we wait together to, to be with him forever. Amen. <clears throat>